you can talk about film with a philosopher's zeal or measure them all by box office appeal but for once in your life be real well the world is a heinous place run by heinous people but we are here to talk about adults playing games in movies welcome to be real it's your movie reviewing and reappraising podcast my name is chance solon pfeiffer and i'm noah ballard how are you buddy i'm pretty good yeah a little hot in my apartment but uh same here new york in the summer and portland in the summer yeah you guys yeah i gotta know that we forgo the fans in the air conditioning to make the home studios yeah just for the audio quality absolutely so for you guys Anyone who ever said we're not putting a little sweat into this is is wrong. And I'm s- I sweat constantly. <laughs> I put sweat into whatever I do. Mm, interesting. Um, well, let's put some sweat into uh, this category of, of game movies. I preemptively titled the episode The Game Is On. Does that sit okay with you? <laughs> That's great. I thought you might like that because of how much you enjoy that phrase. Um, what are we talking about? We're talking about uh, the somewhat recent release, Tag. Yeah, yeah. We're talking about uh, six month ago, a year ago release, Game Night. Mm-hmm. And we're talking about the classic 1985 board game adaptation, Clue. And so coming up, we have one of the 10 real people upon whom the film Tag is based. We're going to talk to... Joe Tombari, who is a science teacher in Spokane, Washington, who, if you don't know about this movie, starring uh, John Hamm and Ed Helms and Jake Johnson and Hannibal Burris about like a game of tag played one month out of the year for decades by adult men, it's based on a real thing. And Joe is a real player. And he is, as you would imagine, into it. I don't think any of these guys are like, yeah, this is just like something I, I don't really care. Because then you wouldn't do it. Um, they're pretty into it. So we're going to talk to Joe in a little bit. Um, any ethos to get out of the way, buddy? Keep it real. Think slow. We should get through it just fine. A little rider, Donnie. Donnie, a little rider. Well, I just got back from uh, Denver. How was Denver? Lo- love Denver. You ever been to Denver? Uh, yeah, many times. You know, kind of reminded me of Portland, but like without the rain. I <laughs> well, you did visit Portland in November, which is like the not a great time to come here. I'm a little jealous because you were going to Denver and you're like, "What do you think, Denver or Portland?" I was like, "They're pretty similar." And then all I heard all weekend is how good Denver is. So. <laughs> Yeah, I'm going nuts for Denver. I walked around a little bit. Well, it's crazy because I was in Denver for this work conference, but also in Denver was Comic-Con Denver and Denver Pride. Oh, wow. And they all converged on the city at the same time. And there was something else, too, like a Greek festival or something. (laughs) But, like, like walking down the street and seeing, like, the like tidal wave of like pride hit the tidal wave of Comic-Con, like just the outfits of it, like just created sort of a Mad Max Fury Road kind of feel (laughs) in the streets. That's great. Good for for Denver. 
It was amazing. I got, you know, I was overstimulated quite quickly and had to return to the castle B&B I was staying in. But... Oh, yeah. What's the name of that castle? Oh, the Castle Marn. Yeah, you Instagrammed a photo of it, and I was like, I've stayed there. It is a, what, you had a very nice thing you said about it. What was it? Agatha Christie? Oh, yeah, it's, it's like a Wes Anderson adaptation of an Agatha Christie book. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. How about you? What did you get into this weekend? We went camping. Um... For the first time. That was an experience. Ever? I'd never done like... Well, actually, that's not true. Um, I'd been camping in a tent by myself before. And like this weird, like lost long weekend in high school. But this is Sarah and I, the woman with whom I'm in a monogamous long-term relationship. We, uh, <laughs> we went camping at this kind of like desert reservoir, like three and a Ooh. half hours from Portland. Um, and it was cool, man. We made eggs and bacon over a fire we saw bald eagles and kayaked it was it was a picturesque weekend it was pretty good let me ask you what the what was the shower situation like non-existent oof see i if i can't shower every morning uh, i know i'm not gonna i'm not gonna go to that place you and sarah have that in common she really did not understand my strategy of not showering the day before we went because we were just gonna get dirty (laughs) But then even I had to admit that wasn't a good strategy because I was pretty fucking filthy by the end of it. <laughs> yeah, you have to like get in the, like out of the shower and like right into the car and go camping. Like you can't let any time go by. Well, that's what we've been doing. Okay, let's run. Okay, you want to talk about Tag? Let's, I would love to talk. I just saw Tag this evening. This movie is very simple to pitch. I think we already pitched it, right? It's a based on a true story about an ensemble with an ensemble comedy cast playing tag. And the one month a year, these adults play tag and they go to great lengths to get somebody it. They will, as you see in the opening scene, Ed Helms will like get a job as a janitor at John Hamm's insurance company just in order to tag him. Um, so they will do that to get each other. But then the... Uh, the white whale of the group is is Jerry, played by Jeremy Renner, who has never been it. And this, you know, Hoagie, played by Ed Helms, enters the movie and is like, guys, we're doing it. This is the year we're going to get Jerry. We have to do it. Um, and they go up to Spokane, Washington to find him. And it turns out he's getting married, but they don't know that. Jerry has a sort of a curious distance from the group that both... Um, catalyzes his never being it but is also sort of weird for that character and is not quite unpacked i don't think there are a lot of things in this movie that i think are really fun but like just haven't been looked at very deeply in a screenwriting sense what do you think this movie is like jokes thrown at like yeah a pretty underdeveloped emotional arc of a movie right Because, like, where you start is, like, these are just, like, well-known actors playing tag with each other. And then, like, if you do inevitably buy into these characters, by the end of it, the motion picture wants you to believe that, like, men just need to touch each other a little bit. (laughs) Sure, that sounds all right. And And women, too, by the end. Women, too. Everyone just wants to be touched. And if you haven't been touched, maybe you, like, need to be touched emotionally. Right. Yeah, no... No tag player is an island, no matter how elusive. Yeah, where to start? Did you, did you laugh? I guess I'll ask you what Joe matter-of-factly asked me. Did you laugh? Right. And I did. Yeah? There were, like, a lot of, like, sort of, like, there were some, like, witty moments that I was 
I sort of get like, I went, ha! The kind of. <laughs> yeah. But I don't know that like the big premise sort of jokes are classic enough, you know? Sure. Um, so like the big swing the movie takes is that Jeremy Renner has never been it because he is like a savant at this game. And whenever anyone is running at him, time slows down, uh, kind of matrix style, sort of more like Guy Ritchie, Sherlock's mind palace style. <laughs> um, which is just That's a good like, one. Hoagie approaches from the rear. Like he's nine and a half steps too slow to catch me. I will simply grab the railing with my right hand, twist 47 degrees with my left and speed bag him. <laughs> <laughs> Get him right in the tush. So, so the first time that happens, I no I asshole stuff. I definitely got a good laugh out of that. Um, but also, like, so here's the thing: is this movie undercooked or overcooked? Like, I think there are things in the script that need a lot more attention. But also, like, should this movie be a hundred minutes or should it be sixty-five? I think it's undercooked. Okay. The backstory about Jerry and, like, where he's been these last five years and, like, the playful weirdness of the fact that these are supposedly his best friends, yet none of them are in, in his wedding. Right. That was, I have written down in my notes, then, like, who are the groomsmen? How do you not right. make a joke out of that? Right. Like, that's something that needs to be explored more. Like, wouldn't they be like, who are these people? Right. You know, wouldn't they be upset by that? But then, like, it chooses to, like, go to some weirder places instead. Yeah. You know, it it turns to be like an illness thing. And the illness is so not interesting. Right. So, I think it's I think it, it tastes a bit raw to me. Okay, okay. Um I think it takes them a long time to figure out inexplicably what the comedic talents of their very talented cast are. Like they finally hit that beat eventually of it's a really good gag where they're trying to figure out if the wedding is all a hoax. <laughs> or the cancellation of a wedding is a hoax to get them to not do it. And they have to get on Instagram. And uh, Isla Fisher is just like, John Hamm, let me take your Instagram. And he's just like, what? No. And then he gives her like just the gorgeous 200-watt uh, John Hamm smile. And it's like, how did it take the movie this long to figure out that like he should just play Vane? Well, that's the thing. Like The movie doesn't realize that John Hamm is handsome. It puts him up against Jake Johnson yeah. to win over Rashida Jones. Right. And like, obviously, like, John Hamm wins <laughs> that. Like, there's... I mean, Jake Johnson's character literally has nothing going for him in addition to the fact that, like, he's not in the body of John Hamm. Right. <laughs> and I just don't get, like, why that character, if you're going to cast John Hamm, who, in my opinion, is not that dynamic of an actor, why wouldn't you make him, like, the handsome, confident CEO that this movie, like, needs him to be? Yeah. You're right. He is not that versatile an actor. What he is is like very game, especially for like slapstick. Comedy. I just think back to that like like goofy haircut performance that he gave in Baby Driver. Like John <laughs> Hamm's just like game for anything, but like he can only do Don Draper. Yeah, that I mean that is his opus. It was the first and last great thing he did. I mean that is his masterpiece. It's true. Um, but hey, I think that Mad Men knows a little something about what to do when you have a classically, mythologically handsome, uh, man in your cast. Put him in a and suit. this movie does not. Um, yeah, so like there are funny things. Like, there's a really interesting gag 
where I think at some point they were like, Hannibal Burris, you can do whatever you want. Just say <laughs> anything you want. And he keeps doing these time jokes, right? <laughs> like he knows what he can calculate the time change in Beijing. Uh, he says time is a construct when he says they should synchronize their watches. He's, he's like thinking at this crucial moment, like why is bi-monthly the same as bi-weekly? <laughs> so he keeps doing that, but the script is never like, hey, Sable, why are you so into time? It's never explained. Right. These are perfectly, like, well-drawn characters. It just, like, doesn't make a lot of sense, like, why they're in the same movie together. Uh Other than, you know, the titular tag. (laughs) But they, yeah, they play some tag, and where has uh, Isla Fisher been? She did that failure of a movie with John Hamm, Keeping Up with the Joneses. Oh, yeah. She's got that part on Arrested Development, playing Ron Howard's daughter. It's not quite what you want for her in the what in her wedding crashing co-star sense of Rachel McAdams coming on really strong in game night. You kind of right. want more from Isla Fisher. I will say this movie does a good job of, um, I thought for sure going in, there would be a wet blanket wife or girlfriend who would be like, you guys need to stop playing tag and would become the antagonist of the movie. And I think, well, that's the funny thing about the movie is that everyone in the movie is like into it by the end. Mm hmm. Which is great. There's never that, like, Will Ferrell wife from old school. Right. Took the restrictor plate off to give the red dragon a little extra juice. (laughs) Oh, Jesus. Uh, Okay, so we can probably rate tag pretty easily. Let me ask you one more thing. Are Are you an Ed Helms guy? I fucking hate Ed Helms. Oh, okay. Strong words. What's wrong with Ed Helms? Because the, mov- the, the movie industry sees him as, like, this day and age is Chevy Chase. Mm. And I'm just, like, not willing to accept. Like, Chevy Chase is so much more deadpan. Like, this movie lacked its, the person who could pull off the line, do you have anything besides Mexican food? <laughs> you know? Something like that. Well, Chevy Chase is not afraid to be an asshole because he is an asshole. But this movie, like, didn't have an asshole. And I think, like, Hollywood thinks that Ed Helms is sort of, like, that asshole guy. But I just don't think he's quite... I mean, I get the Ed Helms, like, character, but it just doesn't do much for me. We'll talk about... Ga- yeah, I to- in total agreement. We'll talk about Game Night in a bit. But I think you have these broad comedies that, like, after you watch them, and they can be very loud and very creative. And then you sort of start to realize, is there just, like, a a slice of Wonder Bread at the middle of this. Like, not everyone can be that Steve Carell who can, like, make a meal out of meekness, you know? Ed Helms just seems meek. Right. He's no... I feel like if there's a closer Chevy Chase uh, analogous here, it would be Jason Bateman. Mm Mm-hmm. Because he can, like, do straight, but he can also be... Or he can be the straight man, like, in a room of goofy people. But he can also, like, be, like, into something mm-hmm. in a Clark Griswold kind of fashion. Sure, sure. But we'll get, to, we'll get to that movie in a second. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what this movie adds up to. I was just hoping there'd be, like, a little bit more meat on the bone. It's a good-looking... There's just so much talent. It makes you want to call it a, a, a bad good. Yeah. And there's so many swings you want to call it like a bad good, but like, I don't think, I mean, compared to what's the guy's name? Rob McKittrick who directed or wrote this movie. He like wrote waiting too. Mm. 
And I feel like waiting is a movie I can, is like quintessential bad good. Like you can watch that movie a hundred times, especially if you've worked in the restaurant industry, but maybe because I've never, I mean, I have like bits with my friends from high school, but like, it just doesn't go far enough and there's not enough good hang. You, the, the stuff in the Ed Helms's basement didn't do it for you. The war room mix and the like, we're, and let's then, get like, that's here. another thing. Like why does the mother like really like chili? Unexplained. It's just There's like so many like unexplained thing. things that, you know, given the somebody cancer doesn't like undo the fact that you need to sew up those ends. Right, right. At uh, least on a narrative level. So you're coming in for a rating. Can we explain the rating system real fast? Please. Here it is. There is no ambiguity on Be Real. All movies can and will be classified by one of our four ratings. Good, good, bad, bad, good, bad, and bad, good. The first good or bad refers to sheer artistry. The second is pure entertainment. Good, good is easy to explain. It's a movie that engages your inner art critic and brings you some form of happiness. For both reasons, you want to watch that movie again. Think Shawshank Redemption or Jurassic Park. (laughs) Or more recently, Get Out and Lady Bird. That we know of yet. Good Good Movies make Noah hyperbolically say, That was the best movie I've ever seen. Bad Bad is easy too. Movies that bring you neither stimulation nor joy. Basically, you just spent two hours wishing you could watch something else. Think of any musician turned actor who gave it a go in a Nicholas Sparks adaptation. I'll pass. Or many Nicholas Cage movie where he plays a wizard or a warrior. You are going to be a force for good and a very important sorcerer. Bad Bad Movies make chance say, I hate so much that you made me watch that. Now, good, bad movies. Those we recognize as worthwhile in a cinematic sense, but don't necessarily enjoy. Think Schindler's List, Requiem for a Dream, or awards bait that hinges on a historical figure delivering an impassioned speech. I have given you my soul. Leave me my name! These kinds of movies make Noah say, But it was so boring. And then I remind him that at least Leo finally got his Oscar for crawling through all that mud. Conversely, bad good movies feed your thoughtless inner child. They're anything from flawed but charming Nancy Myers outings. I'm miraculously done being in love with you! To late career missteps like Al Pacino and Danny Collins. They're loud and silly, like Kurt Russell in Big Trouble in Little China or Stargate. It's all in the reflexes. Bad good movies make me want to watch Tombstone, especially when Noah says, But didn't the Mighty Ducks just give you that warm holiday feeling? Got all that? Now buckle up, because you're about to hear two friends who watch movies for very different reasons talk about their taste like it's God's own truth. All right, so it sounds like you're torn between bad good and bad bad. I am. That's the... What do you think? I think think it's a pretty easy bad good, honestly. Like, I probably... it's not a movie that cries out to be rewatched, but I do think it is funny. Um, and I think I'd be curious to see if some of these, a lot of these jokes would just stick better if the characters felt more rounded, if they felt more connected to each other. Like there's a, I have a lot of lines written down, like Ed Helms terrified of Jerry about to masturbate onto his childhood teddy bear going, but but he's not a sexual being. 
<laughs> but this is stuff that if you didn't write it down, I don't think you'd remember it. Um, that's funny. I do remember that though. Okay. I mean, I wouldn't. I, I did remember that sequence. But yeah, some of like the re- the like visual humor is like really good. I just don't think it lands. Maybe I'll have to watch it again. I'm, I'll say bad good. You will? Okay, that's where I'm at. I'll say bad good. Let's, All right. When it get, goes on HBO, inevitably, I'll watch it again. And then I'll come back and like say it was a masterpiece or something. No, I don't know. I, th- I think that also this is an interesting category for kind of assessing the state of the broad comedy, right? Which has just been on, in like just a bizarre state of health the last five years, I would say. As people have gotten yeah. kind of tired of the Apatow thing, and Amy Schumer's career hasn't really taken off post Trainwreck, and then you've got things like The House that seem like they should be good, but have you seen that? That's really bad. Oh, my roommate said it was pretty good. I don't know. I think you have like a weird. Maybe what you have is a lack of good comedy directors. Um, sure, I could see that. We'll have to see. Uh, anyway, let's talk to Joe Tambari, who I called, who I skyped with last week. He was at the school where he teaches science with the giant, uh, like, bulldog logo in the background to set the scene. Uh, and we talked for a long time, and he just had, like, story after story of, like, and then, like, Rick ran into the garage, and I had to just careen in there after him. <laughs> so I saved some of the best of those, uh, but Joe is a really nice guy. So let's talk to Joe. For the entire month of May, every year we play tag. You never know when someone's gonna pop up. Congratulations, buddy. You're in. Doing great, Anna. Our buddy Jerry is the best that ever played. And now he wants to retire. Never been tagged. Just saying. So who's it? You can't touch this. This is the year we get Jerry. You can't touch this. Synchronize your watches. I don't know how to do that. I don't wear a watch. Time is a construct. So how how are you? How's your summer? You're you're at school, but it's it's summer, right? Crazy ending. I, yesterday was the last day, and I was a little behind with all the busyness, you know. Okay. And uh, so I got some stuff back late to him, but nine, it's due by nine a.m. Man, I can do an all nighter. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks. Well, it sounds like you're squeezing me in. No, I appreciate an all nighter. I'm in good shape. No, I'm not squeezing you. This is awesome. This is what life's about right now. That's a, it's a good thing for life to be about. I got to see the movie last night, so that was exciting. I'm glad you've seen it too, because I want to talk a little bit. Did you laugh? I did. I definitely laughed more as it went, I think. How did you feel about it generally? I did laugh out loud. I enjoyed it. I thought there's some really great parts. So yeah, I, mean, I also analyze it from, look, we're, I've played the game for 30 years and know, you know, there are three pieces to a tag. There's the preparation and the scheming. There's the tag itself, which is generally pretty short. And then there's the post tag. Um, and there's probably less post tag stuff that because it's like just a weekend. It's a short thing. Whereas the time we'll do a tag, you know, uh, starting in October, um, I'll go see my buddy Mingard. He runs a machine shop and we'll talk about life. We'll talk about work because I'm an engineer by background. And then it's cool to figure out what he's working on. And then we'll talk about, all right, what are we going to do this year? Who are we going to get? Who are we scheming against, right? And we'll start thinking, okay, well, how do we get Pat? Pat's a tough one to get. He's kind of like the Jeremy Renner. Uh-huh. In the middle, of, in the beginning of the month, people are okay with it. By the end of the month, you know, Schultz, he'll fire somebody. I mean, he'll disown his family. It's pretty serious about it. <laughs> uh-huh. so, so we'll start figuring out, okay, how do we get him? Where do we, do we know how to get there? What are we going to do? And, and we'll 
who are contacts to throw somebody under the bus? Because really, ultimately, that's what you need. You need some people to fess up and buy in to be the tag tag helpers. Yeah. Was there any debate um, as this movie came out about who was most like Jeremy Renner? Or was the consensus that it was Pat? Uh, I don't think there's any debate. Uh, I, I mean, because it's not always Pat. I'm just saying Pat. Uh, it's probably he's close because of the end. But he has, there's nobody ever not been tagged. We would have never allowed that. That's why I said, I, I think when they created this whole thing, they took 10, was really busy, lots of, I mean, there's a lot of characters, so they got to five. And uh, a little pieces of us are kind of all in them. Probably me, maybe Ed Helms and uh, Beef, my friend Ed Helms, because we'll, we enjoy the dress up thing. You know, Peter Sellers, that's how we grew up, funny, goofy stuff, not not really good costumes either, fake ones, right? Which Ed Helms does a good job of that in the movie. Like when you have the wig on and you're facing away, yeah. can't tell. But when you turn around, it's like, oh my gosh, what are you doing? And, and it, I mean, that's part of the funny, the silliness of it. Let's get into the real story a little bit more. I know that you guys started playing in high school and then there was this like decade long hiatus, right? During which time you were it, I believe. Right? I was. So at this reunion that you guys was it your 10-year high school reunion or what brought you all back together no it was uh probably seven of us maybe eight of us okay got together in seattle in spring of 89 what i recall uh because i rented a convertible car and we drove around a little bit and had some fun with that but uh and then brian brought up the ideas i recall and everybody has a different story because it's been so long uh-huh. brian brought up the idea said hey why don't we play tag and and play during the month of february dead month uh the beauty of the whole thing was some of us played golf i mean we played golf all year round we lived in um there was probably five of us in the bay area a couple in la at the time and then people up north and one guy back in boston we were pretty spread out um you know but some people didn't like golf some people didn't. How do you get 10 guys? It's kind of hard. This was it. He's like, you're all signing a contract. You're all in or you're out. There is a real contract too, by the way, right? Oh, yeah. There's a real contract. But I think that was the thing. Hey, look, sign the contract. Get in. There's no reason you can't play. You don't have to do it every year. But let's just do it so we get together once in a while. Yeah. And, it, and that's the intent. I think there was real beauty in that. I, th- I agree. I think the intentionality is kind of what's so cool about it. Because if there weren't those those rules and those bylaws, you could see how easily it would have fizzled out, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, people get, we get, everybody gets busy. They got busy lives. But that, you're right. The contract was that glue that kept you going. Yeah. The start was great. Uh, really funny stuff. So, I mean, to me. So, we're driving down to a local hole. At, uh, we lived in Santa Clara at the time. And uh-huh. back you know, the bar at the old alma mater and I'm driving and I reach over and I just said, Chag, you're it. And he's like, what? No way. Let's go back. I want to go get somebody else. Right. And I said, no way. I'm going to enjoy this. I've been it for eight years. It was such a big deal. A weight lifted off of my shoulders. Yeah. And um, so if we go to the bar, we're sitting there. Well, what are we going to do? We start planning. What are you going to do? And Turns out, you know, Patrick lived in Palo Alto, and they never locked their garage door. They didn't park in their garage. You know, it's a big old two-guard. They didn't park it. They had a bunch of garbage in there, bikes and stuff. So he, we went home, and this is landline time. So we went about, we got home at like 1130, and he keeps calling their number. No answer. Wait 20 minutes. Call again. No answer. And about 
1230-ish, I recall, something like that, or one at night, uh, phone picks up and Mike just hangs, hangs up right away, doesn't even talk. So he's on his way, drives the half hour up there, parks about three blocks away, and he opens the garage door and he goes into this thing. And it's dark, you know, you're sneaking into somebody's house and all yep. that. It's pretty crazy. So and we knew that, like, if you could get to the kitchen, Brian's room was right off of the kitchen. And so he just opens the door, and he turns on the light, you know, and then he tags me, DB, where's he going to go? He's just, you know, in, like, totally, totally dazed, had no idea. He tags him, no looking back, goes, you're it, sprints out the front door, runs, and goes. Wow. But it was a great start. I mean, that was energy and like, oh my gosh, everybody's nervous, but good, good fun. I wanted to pick up on something you mentioned, uh, 8990 and the existence of landlines. At the end of the movie, there is a lot of footage of you guys pulling off some of your like most ambitious like all-time tags. Um, how did the advent of technology and the ability to like capture video, did that up the stakes at all for you guys? <laughs> yeah, quite a bit. We didn't really start filming our tags until probably after the article came out. Oh, okay. And that was when film was happening. And we probably we, we have no films before that. We were just getting together. Yeah. Maybe it's a picture on a phone, you know. Also, I mean weather. Like so I'm heading the first weekend, right? The first weekend I have to decide where I'm gonna go. I go to Seattle, but I want uh I want Sean to be worried. Right. He's up in the priest is up in Montana. Uh So I, you know, I know what's going on. When is it snowing? What's the radar like? What's happening? Where? (laughs) Right. It does make a difference. Just past Regis, Montana. It just started snowing. I'm heading on up the hill. Right. You can give all these little things snippets of information. You wouldn't have before to kind of make him at least think you're coming. Yeah. Make him faked out or fake everybody else out. They think I'm going that way. Right. Yeah. So. Technology's helped a lot. If it keeps improving, Actually. I feel like the next step is just like planting trackers on each other when the other person doesn't know. Well, you know, and there's a, there's a little thing about that. And I haven't shared this too much with everybody else, but a couple of the guys believe that because the, the rule is if I ask you if you're it, you can't lie to me. Okay. Right. And you have to be honest about it and in a timely manner. I mean, and, and that's right because that's cheesy. Like if you said, oh, no, I'm not it. And then you tag me. You know, where's the where's right. the character? So, but it's gotten to a point where if they text you, are you it? They believe that I should have to text right away and say I'm not. Hmm. I totally disagree. I think it should have to be a phone conversation. Interesting. So, so anyway, all that stuff. So we're, we're pretty close. I mean, it, I, I think we could all put trackers on our phone. We could, I mean, just like parents do their kids, we could. Right. But I don't think we want to do that either. It's, sure. That takes but, but I think there's a lot, like, um, there are issues, like, because we're older, we have less time. So going for a false tag kind of sucks, because if you go drive over to Spokane, and then you're there for the whole week or a day, right. and you don't make a tag, that sucks. Yeah. And, and and then you don't get to see anybody with them. I mean, that's also what sucks. I mean, sure, you want to make the tag, but it's, it's apt. We won't go hang out for a while. Do you feel like you have a personal strength as a tag player, offense, defense, long-term planning? Do you do you have a personal area you favor? Yeah, probably not defense. Okay. I mean, everybody knows the principle here. Everybody could, I mean, even the secure atmosphere at our school, right? Yeah. They know enough people, enough teachers, they could get in. And they could get you. It's not a problem. Yeah. And, and, and you know what? I love it. If they, 
if I got tagged more here, the kids would love it more. Uh huh. But um, uh, probably not. I mean, I, I I like to move the game around. I'm a guy who likes to have the tag, and I like to go make tags. I'll make multiple ones, um, and I also like the disguises. There's only like Beef and I are really like the disguises. Chris kind of does a little bit. Some of the other guys maybe not as much. So that's one of my expertises. So let me that ask you. A little bit more about the movie what was something oh, that yeah. you what was like your favorite bit that was completely invented from whole cloth that you like never saw coming was there something that you really dug <laughs> uh there is so much of it i mean i i really enjoyed the show i think like one of them is that you like the whole how do you get uh ed helms or hoagie in that scooped up right in the uh-huh. in there in the wild when he gets scooped up that's a funny one and he's he's stuck right yeah. you're really stuck mm-hmm. so i like that one i think that's really creative that's something that we might want to try um i mean i the janitor thing is great i didn't actually get hired at a company to do that but you you can we did the gender thing this year at the airport okay you can be a little conspicuous if you're kind of nice and you know, look sure. too uh, menacing, I suppose. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I think that's good. I'm like, my buddy Mang kind of said last night, and I agree with him. Like, the ending scene is kind of like what it was like in high school. Yeah. I mean, uh, it was crazy. It was so crazy. We were running through the halls. And, and the last part of it was like, uh, and when it first started, everybody was going at it like, I mean, when it's a hyped up thing, maybe those little spinners. Are you, do you know what I'm talking about? Those little spinners? The fidget spinners? Yeah. Yeah. When those things took off, everybody had one and they're just going all day, all day and they're dead now, right? Uh-huh. But um, these had these spinners things and you just go all day or Rubik's Cube or whatever and it just consumes you. Right. So for like the first week when we started playing that game, it was like game on all day long. And then we're like, this is killing us. We want to get back to our life. So then we just calmed it down to like between fifth and sixth period for like, just to, it, then it was maintainable, right? Yeah. But it was crazy in those first few. Like everybody would stand outside, or if someone was tagged, you'd immediately run down the hall and get somebody. And that ending was reminded us a lot of how it was in the the first when we first started. It was pretty cool. I like. I really like that ending too, because you know, so much of the movie up to that point has been sort of the slowed down, like in Jerry's head, act like exaggerated yeah. action, and then to have it end in an actual kind of trip over the couch, run down the hall game of tag was really refreshing, I thought. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. I mean, they had to kind of, it's as as uncomplicated as the game is, just mm-hmm. those rules, it's in February, or in their case, it's in May, no tag backs, and you can't lie if you're it. I mean, it, it, the door is wide open, but still people don't understand how we do it. And I think they just did a great job. I mean, it, all the planning sessions, we do all that. I mean, like I said, I go to my buddy Mang. So when they're in the basement of Hoagie's house, they're just in the war room. They put the war room tape on. <laughs> I think that's just that's a go back to like, all right, this is game on, and yeah. you remember all those fun times. Um, yeah. I'll leave you with this one, Joe. What is your single favorite tag that you've pulled off over the years? Can I leave you with two? Please. I'm gonna leave you with two. The first one I'll say is my dog. My daughter dressed up. We, we were on our way to a, my aunt's birthday party. So it was kind of a hurried thing. Beef was supposed to have left town. He didn't. He went to dinner with his mom. I found out, right? So we went to the restaurant, the Italian restaurant. 
I dressed up like an old dude, wig, mustache, and then Chrissy dressed up as an old lady. And we walked incredibly slow into this restaurant. We were very deliberate about it, hunched over. And uh, she's like, oh, my God. My daughter, was it was her first real time in with it. I mean, this is just a few years ago. Yeah. And, um, and it was great. And we were on top of his face. And he had no <laughs> idea it was us, right? Like, That's great. Hey, how's your dinner, you know? Tag, you're it. You know, so <laughs> that was really great. And I love my daughter being there. Second favorite uh, is trying to get egg. We went to, he was going, we, I found out from his wife, you know, the wives throw us under the bus, which is really good because they know that it's fun for everybody. Sure. So we're, he's going to Portland. So I drive the six hours and my buddy Beef comes down from Seattle three and a half. We meet there and we had many times tried to do something, but it just didn't work. Right. We couldn't make the connection right. Couldn't make it happen. And you, you kind of didn't want to force him into it. That's also part of it. You don't want to force somebody to do something. Then in February, they're like, wait, you're setting me up. Like a surprise party, right? Mm -hmm. Figure out. So we're just letting Tease, his wife, kind of go along and see what happens. Tease went to some seminar with her other daughter and uh, passed this on to his oldest daughter, Sarah. So he's like, ah, I'm in. I'm all over this. She loves the game. So she goes, he's coming over to help me make some dish for this party they were going to that night. And so she's in a hopping part of town in Portland. She lives on the second floor above this cool little bar area thing. And um, so we're there. We just pull up. We're like, oh, my gosh. We're wide open. Who's, who knows what's going to happen? Beef and I, we better get down. So we get down. And right then, Billy finds a spot right across the street, which is a miracle. Just lucky, right? Yep. And then he gets out. And he comes through those, between those two cars, run out. I run by him and tag him. And that's actually in the scene. You see my face and I tag a guy. That's That's at the end of the movie there. Right. And uh, you know what you don't hear is her. And she's like right up out the window. She's like, ha, 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 gotcha. <laughs> I mean, that's the that's the stuff for me now. It's like our kids have become cousins. It's energizing me for the future and how fun it is. Because as these guys decide, unlike Pat, who's, whose family will be disowned if he doesn't let them or if he let, they give him up. The other guys, this is the best part, right? Yeah. I, me. I mean, that's where the friendship is and getting to know those kids as they get older. I mean, Mingard's got six kids under the age of eight or something. And so we're going to be playing tag with his kids forever. That's super cool that you guys can widen the circle of bonding like that. But yeah, Joe, thanks so much for your time, man. I really appreciate it. Chance, thank you for your time. This is awesome. Some couples go camping. Some couples go to strip clubs and have gangbangs. And this is just what we love. This is our gangbang. Wow. It seems like the game has really kept you guys connected. All right. So good to see you. Come on. It's been a while since we've done this. You want to talk about Game Night? I would love to. Game Night came out in February. And in that sort of, you know, like I guess it was before the Oscars, but post-awards season fair um, kind of dead time, I think made a nice splash for people. This was clearly a movie from the director's uh, it's John Francis Daly, who you know as Sam from Freaks and Geeks, and Jonathan Goldstein, his writing partner. They rem- Speaking of Clark Griswold, they remade Vacation a couple years ago, I think, to not great effect. Um, but this was something they were throwing out on February 23rd just to see if it would work. A movie about um, adults obsessed with game night then kind of escalating into like a murder mystery dinner party that like turned out to be 
real is like the vague thing I'll start with. And people liked it. Um, I Yeah. People have been talking about it for months and months. Is this kind of like interesting, like, oh, how about Game Night? How about Rachel McAdams? How about Game Night? So how about Game Night is kind of the theme of this podcast. Uh, you want to dig in a little deeper with the synopsis there, buddy? Absolutely. So you have this sort of upper middle class, no kids yet couple living in the sort of semi-detached suburbs and their thing instead of like having kids or whatever is with their other single friends, they get together for game night and you know, they're like very good at it and they're very competitive. Um, You know, I mean, much like our heroes in tag there, what's the line? You don't stop playing because you get old. You get old because you stop playing. Right. That's not a quote from Ben Franklin. (laughs) Right. Yeah. (laughs) Um, yeah, and they get together and they have the your normal game night problems of there's like the creepy neighbor who like wants to play with them. Right. And you know, and then sort of the inciting incident is that Jason Bateman's Max, his brother, played by Kyle Chandler, Brooks, shows <laughs> up. Oh boy. Mm. Tonight we're taking game night up a notch. <laughs> We don't need a board and we do not need pieces. We won't need any extra rudeness either. Someone in this room is going to be taken. Oh, it's a murder mystery party. Fun. Whoever finds the victim wins the grand prize. The keys to the stingray. Just the keys? No, Ryan, the whole car. Oh, yes! I just want to wish you the best of luck. And so Jason Bateman's married to Rachel McAdams' Annie. Um, The other people in the sort of group are I, I really like Billy Magnuson, the guy from from Ingrid. Um, from Ingrid Goes West. And he plays this guy Ryan who's sort of brings a different date to every game night. He's sort of like going through the salespeople at the mall, it sounds like. <laughs> um like the Revlon counter. Right. And then Lamorne Morris from New Girl, who I really like. Uh, and his wife, girlfriend, wife, Kylie Bunbury, Michelle. Yeah, wife, I think. Wife, uh, they come too. Um, also, you left out a favorite of mine. Uh, Sharon Horgan from Catastrophe is the person who uh, Billy Magnuson eventually brings because they always make fun of him because he brings these, you know, as a rule, very attractive young women who are dumb and bad at games. But Billy's also very dumb, or Ryan is the, is the character. So he ends up bringing. Uh, Sharon Horgan and all of her like acerbic Irish wit. <laughs> um, and she's good at games, but they, they have this little rapport over one of them being really dumb. Yeah. That's pre- That's played for a pretty funny effect too. Right. But yeah, so I don't think one can really like get at the core of this movie without talking about the scene, the scene and movie stealing, uh, presence of Jesse Plemons. Absolutely. As the cop who lives next door, who's just like, <laughs> just been his, he's just had been gone through divorce. That doesn't sound like it was his idea. Right. And, and he lives with this like little white dog. Yeah. And just like monitors everything. Right. And has the weirdest things to say. 
Yeah, it's kind of it's it is a brilliant piece of both casting and acting because I, I mean, a lot of people remember <laughs> the first time they saw Jesse Plemons as Todd on Breaking Bad, uh, right? And you're just like, who is that dead-eyed weirdo? That is terrifying. <laughs> and the directors of this movie are like, do the exact same thing, and we'll play it for comedy, and it's incredible. It is. It's very, very funny. Um, the preci- the funny thing in the writing is the precision of his language. Um, you know, he's he's trying to suss out like what it is. Like, are you guys having a game night and and not inviting me? Um, and he just asks these questions. Like, he's just like, then why do you have three bags of Tostitos scoops? And they're like, oh, it was a three for one deal. How would, that be, researches. how would that be profitable for Frito-Lay? <laughs> I love the when he's in that shootout and he's like running behind a car and this guy shouts, don't even think about it, pig. And he sort of says like at an audible level, can't say I care for that nomenclature. <laughs> Let me shout out one more. There's a great post credit sequence where you sort of see the the lengths to which Gary has gone to insinuate himself into this game night. And there are like these like almost paparazzi pictures, very voyeuristic pictures of his ex-wife at a bar with somebody. And you just see a post-it note that says, with whom is Debbie having a beverage? (laughs) (laughs) Cheers to the object relative pronoun there. (laughs) That's so good. Let's talk a little about the stars. What do you think of Jason and... And MC Adams. I think Bateman and Rachel McAdams are incredibly, like, good together in not, like, a... It's not too, like, Mr. and Mrs. Smithy, but it's, like, two people who are, like, married for the right reasons kind of thing. And they do this because they're passionate about it, but not in, like, the date night Tina Fey kind of way. Right. Yeah, it's not... They're not, not, like, bored. They're just sort of unhappy. Yeah, and compensating by playing a lot of games. Right, and getting really into that life. Well, the other interesting... The thing I like about this movie, from McAdams on down to Kyle Chandler, on to Jesse Plemons, is that they are casting dramatic actors in this like broad comedy and i think the results are like there's just some of the line deliveries like when i do them they're, they're not going to sound great but just jason bateman going "Ooh, i think you've sewn my arm to my sleeve is like not <laughs> the way that like will ferrell or adam sandler would deliver that line it's, right i don't know there's like a real like command of the line there because they're not you know sketch comedy players Right. And they and there's just like well written bits. Like there's the scene where they like cut his arm open to like get the bullet out because she's he's been <laughs> shot. And like they go through this whole process and it turns out like there's no bullet in his arm, it like went through his arm and there's an exit wound. And what did they use for antiseptic in that scene? White wine. <laughs> like a twelve dollar Chardonnay. <laughs> oh yeah. my god. It was so good. This I mean, this just builds in a natural way you know, to more dangerous and dangerous situations. And because of that, you get to have your sort of diehard epilogue where it's like, yeah, you know, things are good in the world and like we can be brother and brother and like, we're not that unhappy. Are we Rachel McAdams? And, 
everyone sort of gets their fun resolution. Definitely. Um, and it's well written too. Like this movie just, it made me realize that, uh, you know, in, in a lot of broad comedies, especially of the Apatowian ilk, attention to detail is not one of their primary virtues. You know, they're, they're sloppy. This one's not sloppy at all. It's not sloppy. Everything And it's aware of things too. Like when somebody falls like on the third glass table that doesn't shatter, (laughs) he says like, something's something's weird with, with uh, glass tables tonight. Like they're acting weird. How did I laugh to high heaven with about the Denzel photo? Oh, that was so good. That was such a good bit. And then he does that really good impression of Denzel, yeah. mm-hmm. which made me think of you. you. Do you have a little bit of a Denzel? Um, I, well, what movie? What? Uh, Roman J. Israel Esquire. <laughs> okay. All right. What I'm going to do is I'm going to be 65 years old and betray everything I've ever believed in. Oh, man. Uh, I watched that movie on an airplane. Well, I I just stated my primary problem with the movie. (laughs) It doesn't make any fucking sense. Right, there's that. But God, it's good to see Rachel McAdams get to, like... When she does the... um, Yeah. When she does the Pulp Fiction bit, when she's, like, jumping around a semi-charmed life, they they understand, like, when to turn the reality to. Like, they don't hang too long in the, like, uh, oh we don't know this is serious. So we're just going to like wave our guns around and curse at actual criminals. They only hang on to that for like maybe 20 minutes and then they switch it again. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They keep switching like who knows what, and they keep cha- like raising the stakes because they like, this movie's good because it doesn't just have that one turn. It's not just, Oh shit, this is like serious and we have to run away. Right. They realize that it is just a big game and like, fuck it. They're going to play. Yeah. And then it's just got, the thing with the uh, Jason Bateman's bullet wound and the dog is just your classic, like gross out, like ruined something pristine bit. But, but with this, this, the specter of Jesse Clemens, Clemens entering the room at any time is just so funny. Um, Oh my God. And there's just blood everywhere on this little white, like terrier creature or whatever it is. And then the, the dog's like next to this like white wall filled with like mostly (laughs) white pictures of him and his ex-wife and their like memorabilia. Oh man. Um, yeah. You ready to turn toward a rating? Absolutely. I think this movie's a good, good. I think you're right. I think it is a good, good. I think I'm late in my pleasant surprise, but uh, I was still pleasantly surprised. Um, it's just got a it's got a great cast up and down. They've figured out little dynamics that make the characters seem. I mean, nobody's asking for like an incredible character sketching in any of these movies, whether it be Tag or Game Night. But having people do consistent bits with things that can be recalled is like what makes characters in a comedy feel tangible. Right. And that's what this movie Yeah, I mean, like, the amount of detail that both Jesse Plemons and Kyle Chandler, like, bring to their roles is so, like, interesting for, like, the little time that they have on screen. Very much. Very much. We should keep trying to get funny, dramatic actors to do comedy. Because Chandler even pulls off the thing, the transition of, like, oh, I believe this guy is the do-no-wrong 
golden boy of this family to like, oh no, he's actually like the Jordan Belfort of this family. <laughs> right. He can do both somehow because he's a good actor. He is indeed. Should we go back in time? So yeah, 1985 Clue. Right. Um, so the movie opens with this wide shot of this mansion and people are coming to this mansion for a dinner party and they're not really sure why they're there and they seem a little frazzled by the whole thing and Tim Curry gets there and opens the place up. So slowly but surely, all the characters from the Clue game show up. Uh, Mrs. Peacock, Eileen Brennan, somewhat famous actress, Madeline Kahn, Mrs. White, Christopher Lloyd, Professor Plum, Michael McKean, Mr. Green, for all the uh, Better Call Saul fans out there. Mm-hmm. Martin Mull, Colonel Mustard. What's he from? He's from like a famous sitcom. Was it like Spin City or something? We, you and I know him of late from Mr. Mom. Um, oh, Christ, that's right. <laughs> I don't know what he's um, doing. I'll have to look. Keep talking. Leslie Ann Warren is Miss Scarlet, and then this guy I've never, Lee Ving, as Mr. Body. Uh, Martin Ball was on the original Roseanne. Wah, wah. Um, <laughs> so. Good. So, yes, they all end up in a house together, and... They're trying to figure out why they're there, and this sort of stage play unfolds where they realize the thing that links them all is they're being blackmailed by Mr. Body. Mr. Body. Who also doesn't seem to know why he's there either. Right. And then it turns out Tim Curry, as the butler, had like organized this meeting, and then the lights go out, and... They all have weapons. The weapons you know. The lead pipe, the candlestick, the gun. All that stuff. The yeah. the noose. And they the run revolver. Ar- yeah, they run around to all the rooms that you know. The study, the library, the lounge. And then they turn off the lights and it comes up and Mr. Body's dead. Right. And you have to figure out like who 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 murdered who. Every person in this room has the perfect motive. Stand back! For murder. What do you mean? Murder. But only one of these suspects is the murderer. Is it the timid Mr. Green? Ah! Why are you screaming? Because I'm frightened! Oh, what? Screaming! Or the militant Colonel Mustard? Oh, if I was the killer, I would kill you next. Huh? Sit Mrs. White, who helped her husband on his way. What's a matter of life after death? Now that he's dead, I have a life. Ah! Miss Scarlet, who's helped many men along the way. Practice makes perfect. Professor Plum, who's looking for a way. I'm looking, I'm looking. Mrs. Peacock. I have absolutely no idea what we're doing here, but I am determined to enjoy myself. Or did the butler do it? No. 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 Paramount Pictures invites you to an evening of mystery. Let us in! Let us in! Let us out! Murder. This is getting quite serious. And madness. But then the movie, I think the brilliance of this movie, because that's kind of a boring setup to like basically watch a game of Clue like unfold in dramatic retelling. Right. But where this movie like really shifts into just a bloodbath of like hilarity by the end of it like i think there's six or seven dead people depending on like which ending you watch sure (laughs) (laughs) it just becomes so like totally ridiculous 
And the movie knows that. And like the writer knew that. And so it's John Landis from uh, Animal House fame. Right. So this movie was shot with three different endings. And when it was originally released in theaters, one theater had the the reel for one ending, another theater would have the, the other one. And so everyone would see a different movie and then like talk to each other about the ending and what they thought. And they'd be like, what are you talking about? Oh, I didn't know and that. It would make them, it would make them go see it again, thinking that they were crazy. And it, they could potentially see a third reel, which then would like lead them to see it. And then, yeah. So three the three them. endings never wound up on the same cut until like home video. Until home video, DVD, and streaming. Wow. The, they never existed together in when projected, when it was, yeah, exhibited. If the movie had just settled on one of those endings, I would not have liked it as much. The movie does hit like a different gear when those endings come up. And I think the person who benefits the most is tim curry as wadsworth finally gets to like run around and tim curry gets to play like you know big and like excited and kind of bug-eyed and be like and then this is what happened then he like falls out pretending to be dead and michael mckean's like please stop falling on me (laughs) um yeah so let's talk about the like you mentioned it's john landis so like pretty like really reliable 80s comedy and jonathan lynn who directed like my cousin Vinny, this was his first directorial effort um and it's 85 pretending to be i think 55 or something so what do you what do you think of just like the style of comedy here what's well, sort of that like noises off like could easily be a play kind of movie yeah but i think what unfolds is like Sort of vaudevillian comedy. It's a farce of the highest order. It's a, it is a farce. Because um, this movie's like not made to be... That's what's silly about it. It's like no one ever gets really upset that they've like... Potentially someone's died. No. F- for emotional reasons. I mean, they become frightened by it. But they're like running around like mice in a, in a maze or something. Yeah, some of it's, like, really quiet, kind of, like, bad Christopher Guest. Like, what is the... I think it's Mrs. White, who's, like, my husband threatened to kill me in public. And someone's like, why would he do it in public? And they're, like, making fun of her because her prepositional phrases are in the wrong order. Like, he threatened in public to kill me. So, like, that's sort of curious, (laughs) like, existing in the same movie where, like, they are making out with corpses to convince a police officer, <laughs> you know? I, like, never thought about how dark, like, making out with those dead bodies, like, Pretty actually dark. was. yeah. Yeah, and then cut from, like, making out with a dead body to two of the characters actually making out, which is, again, bold. Near a dead body. Bold and dark, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I know that this is 1985, but the fact that, like, Colleen Camp is only there for her breasts... It's like pretty insulting. It gets and that bit gets old so fast. Just like everyone looking down her blouse, like for like twenty minutes. Yeah, but I did like the uh, Michael McKean thing of like every time there's a loud noise, he's like holding like a very full drink and just like yeah. loses it. <laughs> Which makes the I mean not to not to spoil it, but in one of the endings, he gets to like really turn into a different character. Which is which is pretty funny. Um, I thought the I thought leaving as Mister Body was like terrible. <laughs> yeah, that's like a weird 
part of it. Like, especially it like doesn't it, use that cameo. It should have gotten someone like way more famous. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. Especially if you want the like stage play, if you want to feel any element of like, oh my, they really are being blackmailed. Maybe do it by someone who seems like he's saying his own lines and is not like Ray Parkin <laughs> solo. <laughs> Oh my god! Yeah, he's like horribly dubbed over. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they sh- you get like a. I mean, that the movie would have been truly inventive had they gotten like Robert De Niro to get like killed in the first. Scene. Oh yeah, <laughs> incredible. Or actually, you know, they couldn't get De Niro. You know who they probably could have gotten was like a young Andy Garcia. Yes, would have been really good for just that haircut and that complexion. Yeah, I'm trying to think what else about this movie. I've seen it a couple times before. and Me like, too. It's very enjoyable. I just don't like... It's kind of a slow... Like Tag, it's kind of a slow climb of these kind of like outdated, like outmoded, sexist, <laughs> like comedy <laughs> styles. And you're like, okay. When, where, and then like, there's some jokes about grammar. Like my husband disappeared. He was an illusionist. He wasn't a very good illusionist. Um yeah, I don't know. I'm a little lukewarm on this movie. How, how do you feel generally? I think it's like just because of how silly it is that it has three endings right. makes it makes it like pretty silly and watchable. I mean, I like totally agree with everything you're saying. Yeah. You know, it's it's a golden oldie to be sure. <laughs> sure. Um, but I think it's bad. Good. Yeah. Oh, no, I'll, I'll come. I'm, I'm right there, baby. I'll be with you. Yeah, I mean, just to see Tim Curry work that hard is like something to something to behold. Yeah, I mean, he's he's butlering this film around too. It's yeah, like, and then someone I mean, went in here. It's the Leonardo DiCaprio crawling through the mud of the Revenant of comedy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so bad good for Clue and Tag, and a good good for Game Night. Not wholly a terrible and unredeemable category. No, fun. I think fun. Right. And in these in these times, fun is all one can ask for. Yes. In the absence of justice, fun will have to tide us over. Distraction uh, and fun. Yeah. Um, anything broader to say about like movies based on games? How, how do any any overarching thoughts? I'm not like big on games typically. Do you play a lot of games? No. I can't yeah, I can't like, now, Noah. Yeah, you're an outdoorsman. That's right. You spend your weekends at REI. I can't afford to go there. I go to Next Adventure. <laughs> you know you can work for stuff? Sounds like indentured servitude. Or like a or nice a private to... prison. <laughs> yeah. Unclear whether it's progressive or very or draconian. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. We we play the, we play the movie game though. That's fun. All right. Well, let's wrap this up. Um, thank you to Joe Tombari for playing tag for so many years and inspiring this relatively fun movie, and for coming on the show. Check out all of our shows on berealpodcast.com. You can find the show wherever you get your podcast. There's some writing on the site. You can find us on social media. It's an exciting summer. We've got more shows coming. It's all looking up. I think the next one I'm going to try to talk you, Chance, into uh, seeing Jurassic Planet. I'd rather see The Meg 25 times. 
The we're definitely doing the fucking we Meg. Gotta do well, all these shark there's movies. Part two, shark movies. We there's so many. There's forty seven below or whatever. Forty seven meters down. Forty seven meters down. We still have open water to get to. Oh, it's on now. Van nice. Van nice. <laughs> all right, man. all right, buddy. Have a great night. Thank you, everyone. What a wicked game to play To make me feel this way What a wicked thing to do